Eden. Uh, for those of you watching online, we're aware we've got a couple of messages that the audio is a little, is breaking up a little, so uh, we're working to try to correct that. So uh, just bear with us. Hopefully we can get that corrected. Uh, if not, this is being recorded on uh, audio, and uh, we'll also post the, just the audio recording of it online as well uh, if we're unable to uh, work out some of the, the kinks that you're hearing online. Turn to Romans chapter 12. Remember, that's where we're going to be for some extended period of time together as we uh, think through a sermon series called Demonstrate. And I told you that, I mean, I don't often use uh, events in the world to kind of dictate um, where I'm going uh, in light, uh, where I'm going preaching-wise. And so uh, we had finished the prayer life of Jesus and the preaching of Jesus. Kyle preached through um, the Sermon on the Mount, and I had done the Lord's Prayer previous, so we kind of had a break there. And then just in light of everything that's going on, as I told you last week, and in particular, in light of the way that Christians are responding to events in the world, um, I thought it would be necessary and appropriate to preach a series of sermons dictated to us by the text and not by our own feelings of how we should be demonstrating ourselves in a time of demonstrations. And so this is not a political uh, point of view. I, I, I'm not going to tell you, you know, you should demonstrate this way because this is a Republican point of view or a Democratic point of view. But what I want you to remember is that if you call yourself a Christian, then you as a Christian, you have a citizenship that trumps your American citizenship. Remember, you're not an American Christian. You're a, you are a Christian who is an American. And so your Christianity, that adjective that comes before the noun uh, American, that's what dictates to you how you behave and live as a Christian. And so we're going to look at Scriptures. Uh, uh, well, actually, we're going to look at Romans chapter 12, through chapter 16 in, our, uh, in the weeks to come, months to come, to learn how we should act. And on October the 24th, October the 25th, excuse me, uh, that Sunday and then November the 1st, I think's the date, um, I'm going to preach two sermons out of Romans 13, if we're not done with Romans 12 by then, which I doubt we will be, to kind of get us ready for the upcoming election, and again, how we should respond. We're not going to talk about how to vote, okay? I'm not going to tell you how to vote, uh, but we are going to talk about how we as Christians are to respond, because hopefully what we can prevent is the foolishness that happened in 2016 when the election was over with, and Christians were fighting and bickering amongst each other about uh, the election, okay? That's, again... That does nothing to bring glory and honor to God. And so we're going to talk a little bit about how you and I should respond um, uh, as, it, as it relates to the election. But this morning we're in Romans chapter 12, verse 2. So let's read that verse and then let's dive into the text. Do not be conformed to this world, but be, ye tr but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, 
what is, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So Romans chapter 1 through chapter 11 gives us knowledge of our extreme sin and the extreme payment for our sin to empower us to live the altered the alter life of Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2. All right, so look, Romans 1 through 11 shows us the, the, the extremeness of our sin, how totally and absolutely depraved we are, okay? We're total depravity, all, I mean, just sinners through and through. The, the extremeness of our sin, but also the extreme payment for our sin and what Christ did for us and how that alone empowers us to live what I've entitled this morning's sermon, the altar life of Romans 12, 1 through 2. Last Sunday we heard Paul's appeal for complete surrender as a living sacrifice. Furthermore, we learned that no one, we, furthermore, we learned that one does not surrender a life in an instant because that which is lifelong can only be surrendered in a lifetime. Did you get that? I'll say it to you one more time. We learn that one does not surrender a life in an instant because that which is lifelong can only be surrendered in a lifetime. So what does that mean to you and I? That surrender is daily. It is second by second. Romans chapter 12 verse 1 and Romans chapter 12 verse 1 admonishes us to do this in the light of God's mercies which we saw in chapters 1 through 11. Our only reasonable response is to offer ourselves as a living sacrifice. Remember that from last week. Our only reasonable response to what we saw in the first 11 chapters is to become a living sacrifice. We are called to make a decisive commitment in chapter 12, verse 1. Paul, with personal knowledge and inspiration of the Holy Spirit, helps us to maintain this commitment by giving us verse 2. By supplying us with what, I, what I'm going to call this morning, altar-binding verbs. Two verbs is all we're really going to look at intensely at this morning. Two Words in particular, the word conformed, verb, and the word transformed, verb. These are the altar-binding verbs that are going to help us live daily as a living sacrifice. Conformed is presented in a negative, meaning do not be, and transformed is in the positive, be. I call them altar-binding verbs because they help us maintain our commitment. Again, let me go back to some just basic elementary Greek because that's about all I know, is that these Greek verbs are what, they, are, what are in the present tense, which means that there is no stop to their action. They are continuous and ongoing. Meaning continuation without end. So when you hear, do not conform, that's not a one-time event. That's an ongoing event. And this be transformed is not a one-time event, but an ongoing event. 
These altar binding verbs empower us to keep, to keep our living sacrifice from slithering off the altar. Do not be conformed literally means stop doing this. Which means they were already allowing themselves to be poured. The, the, those Christians in Rome were already allowing themselves to be conformed into the mold of the world. He is commanding them to stop acting like... Now this is going to be an important word. This is an old word. We don't use this word anymore. This is... Uh, a very Puritan way of thinking that I'm about to throw out at us this morning. But what he's saying is, quit living like earth dwellers. However, he is not saying believers are to make a list of do's and don'ts. We need to stop doing, right? I mean, we're, a lot of us are list people, right? Here's all the list of things I can't do. Here's, here's a list of all the things... That, that I can do. Listen, Christianity is not a list of what you can and can't do. Uh, I think it was Augustine who said, and this is, this, is, this is kind of a wild saying, but if you really think it through, it's absolutely true. Love God with all of your heart and do whatever you want. Love God with all of your heart and do whatever you want. Why? Because if you love God with all your heart, you're going to do everything that God wants you to do. So you don't need a list of do's and don'ts, right? What we need to do is love God with all of our heart and take your list, wad it up, and throw it out the window. And the reason why we don't need this list of do's and don'ts is because it's called legalism. Some people think they're right with God because of all the things they do, and other people think that they're right with God because of all the things that they don't do. That's just legalism. The only way not, the only way not to be conformed is to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That's what the text says. Do you know if your life with the Father is based on legalism or love? That, that's a good question for us to think about for a second. How do I know if I'm living my Christian experience out of legalism or love? Well, I can tell you how you can decipher that this morning. It all comes down to when you sin. It all comes down to your response to sin. When you sin, if you say, uh-oh, I broke God's rules, you're a legalist. You're living in legalism. If when you sin, you say, Oh no, I have broke my Father's heart, then you're living in love. You see, what I'm, do you see how simple that is? If I, if I break God's commandments, if I sin against God, and my response to God is, Oh no, I have disobeyed you again. I have broken your laws. You're nothing more than a legalist. You're just trying to check all the boxes on the, this is what I'm supposed to do side, and this is what I'm not supposed to do side. But somebody that's truly in love and in a relationship with God, when they sin, they don't say, oh no, I broke, you know, I have broken a law. They say, oh no, I've broken God's heart. I've broken my Father's heart. Legalism will not, legalism will make you work harder Excuse me, legalism will not make you work harder 
It will make you give up. Anybody been there? Hmm? You just worn out from just trying, 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 trying. There's people that are watching that don't even go to church now. Why? Because you tried and you tried and you tried and you tried and you tried, and eventually you just got wore out. Why? Because you were li- you're, not, you're not living in a relationship. You're living underneath law. And that's not to say that the law, that we disregard the law of God. Because Jesus didn't come to do away with the law. He came to fulfill the law. The, the, the law, let me say it to you this way. The law was given after salvation. They were delivered out of the Red Sea. Okay, I'm going I'm to get away from the sermon here a little bit. Go back to our Exodus sermon series a long time ago. You remember God saved them before He ever gave them the law. Right? Because obedience always precedes salvation. It, nev- it never comes before salvation. So they're, they're saved, they're, they're brought out of bondage, and then God gives them the law. Why? Because obedience to the law simply becomes an expression of gratitude for salvation. Again, I'm not keeping it to check it off, to say, oh, I'm right with God. No, I see that law, and I see this as, this is a, this is a visible way for me to express my gratitude for, for, for God's salvation. That's what it is. But if you live under legalism, legalism will not, it, it will make you work harder and it will make you give up. The only way to escape being conformed to the world is to be transformed. Continued conformity to the world's way of thinking and acting is inconsistent with a Living sacrifice lifestyle. Conformity to the world is the process of a living sacrifice crawling off the altar. Conformity to the world is forbidden because it negates and seriously mars the presentation the believer has made as a living sacrifice. Paul uses this verb in the present tense to reinforce our dailiness to reinforce the dailiness of our duty to resist. And you may say, you know what? i got enough on my plate already. You, you want to give me something else i got to do every day? I mean, i gotta, I got to get up and get the kids ready every day. And, and, and for some of y'all, y'all got to do school at home every day. And you got that old nasty husband that won't do anything, so you got to take care of him and pick up after him and cook for him and do all this for him and on and on and on. And you just wore out. And the husbands, they're, they're wore out from all the honeydews and the chores. And you're like, the last thing I need to do is to add something else to my list. And I would say to you this morning that this is the most important Activity that you need to add to your list because what will happen is it will infuse you with the energy that you need to do the list that you got every day. Some of us, again, are just wore out from the daily routine of life because, again, we're trying to operate in the energy of our own strength. Don't you know you need God's strength to raise a family? Don't you know you need God's strength to be in a marriage? Don't you know you need God's strength to get up and go to work every day? Don't you know you need God's strength to... To, to endure the stressfulness of daily living in this world? We, 
We are to stop allowing ourselves to be fashioned after the schemes of this passing evil age in which we live. Practically, this means we must be careful what we read and what we watch. Now, I'm not going to get in. Again, you say, oh, now you sound like you're pushing over there on the legalist side. Yeah, you're about to tell us what books we can read and what movies we can watch and which ones we can't watch. And I'm not going to tell you that. Why am I not going to tell you that? Because listen, this morning, if you, if you don't get anything but the last half of this sermon, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Listen, when that happens and it tells you you'll understand the will of God, then that will inform all that stuff that, that's coming in from the world, which of that you should abstain from and that which you should not abstain, abstain from. Listen to what Jesus says in John chapter 15, verse 18 through 21. If the world hates you, know that it, that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. Whoa, watch out. It's not good to be loved by everybody. Some of y'all, look, some of us, I think I include myself into this, maybe not near as much as I used to, but some of us really want to be loved by everybody. We can't stand it if somebody doesn't like us. But listen to what Jesus is saying. He's saying, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore what? The world hates you. Now again, let me say something. Not everybody in the world should hate you. Not everybody in the world should love you. It's kind of the way it was with Jesus. Remember, the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. But all these things they will do to you on account of what? My name. Because they, because they do not know him who sent me. I can condense that into a few words. Christ is hated because sin is loved. <laughs> That's what he's saying. I am hated because sin is loved. And I promise you, if you take a stand against sin, and boy, it's becoming you know, even more volatile today. Take a stand against sin and see what happens. I have a policy. I have a social media policy. I will post what I believe, but I do not respond to people that respond to, what I, to whatever I put on there. You can go back and look at any social media post I've ever put up. I don't respond. Whether people thumbs up or smiley face or amen or whatever it is, I have an ongoing firm stance that I do not respond to social media posts. Why? Because I know that people are going to like it and they're going to hate it. Why? Because if Christ is loved, if Christ is hated, he's hated because of sin. 
And there's one thing you can't start doing with. You can't start messing with sin and people not have a negative response. The same idea of not being conformed to the world is found in, two, in 2 Timothy 2.4. No soldier gets entangled with civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. You can't be in God's army and be a civilian. As citizens of heaven, now this is going back to that, you, you remember I told you uh, earlier when we were talking about uh, 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 we can't be of the earth? Here's where I get that. Philippians 3.20, But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Where's your citizenship? In heaven. Now, follow this. We are to set our minds on things above, not things of the earth. So look at Colossians 3, 1 through 2. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Now watch. This is crucial. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. I've told you many times, I'll say it again this morning. The old saying of, they are so heavenly minded, they are no earthly good, is wrong. The issue is we are so earthly minded, we are no heavenly good. John Piper in his sermon, The War Against the Soul and the Glory of God, taken from 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 11 through 12, advises believers not to be conformed, but instead to cultivate the mindset of exiles. What, what this does mainly is sober us up and wake us up so that we don't drift with the world and, and take for granted that the way the world thinks and acts is the best way. We don't assume that what is on TV is helpful to the soul. I paused looking for a little amen, but I'll amen myself there. We don't assume that the priority, priorities of advertisers is helpful to the soul. We don't assume that the strategies and the values of business and industry are helpful to the soul. We don't assume that any of this glorifies God. We, we stop and we think and we consult the wisdom of our own country, heaven. And we don't assume that the conventional wisdom of this age is God's wisdom. We get our bearings from God from God in His Word. When you see yourself as an alien, an exile, with your citizenship in heaven, and God as your only sovereign, you stop drifting with the current of the day. You ponder what is good for your soul and what honors God in everything from food to cars to videos, bathing suits, I'm still quoting Piper here, birth control, driving speeds, Bedtimes, financial savings, education for children, unreached people, famine, refugee camps, sports, death, and everything else. Aliens get their cue from God, not the world. End quote. James says those who, practice, those who seek to practice pure and undefiled religions, uh, undefiled religions must what? Religion must do what? Abstain religion that is James one twenty seven religion that is pure and undefiled before the God the Father is this 
to visit orphans and widows in their affliction. We know that part, but this is part we often forget. And to keep oneself unstained from the world. He goes on later in chapter 4, verse 4, to say this, that those that are friends uh, of the world are at odds with God. James 4, 4. Whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. You might want to write this next one down. Compromise. That's what we're talking about. Compromise leads to conformity, which leads to defeat. Compromise leads to conformity, which leads to defeat. Now, there are times where compromise is good. Like in a marriage. It's good. Compromise. Okay? But, there, but compromise is never good spiritually. Why? Because it leads to conformity, which leads to defeat. Now, Spurgeon wrote a great devotion. You can still get a copy of it. I think, some, I think you can even get an online copy of it free. It's called Morning and Evening. So what he did is he wrote a devotional for all 365 days, and he wrote one for the morning and one for the evening of each day. And he wrote a devotion based on Romans chapter 12, verse 2. And I just want to... Let me just give this to you, straight from Spurgeon. And, and, and hopefully this will help. If a Christian can, can by possibility... Be saved while he conforms to this world. It must be so by fire. That's, he takes that from Jude one twenty three. Such a bare salvation is almost as much to be dreaded as desired. Reader, would you wish to leave this world in the darkness of a desponding deathbed and enter, and enter heaven as a shipwrecked mariner climbs the rocks of his native country, then be worldly. Be mixed up with the Mammonites. Those are people that are devoted to the pursuit of wealth and refuse to go outside the camp bearing Christ's reproach. Boy, you can, I, could, I mean, that right there will preach in and of itself because listen to what... Do you hear what he's saying? He's saying that there are just some people... Who, who want to get into heaven with the smell of smoke on their clothes, because that's how close they came to going to hell. And he says, who in the world wants to desire that type of Christianity? And I tell you who desires that type of Christianity is people that don't fully understand what heaven is all about. they got a poor theology of heaven. Now, that's for another time and another place. And if you want to check that out, just, just study a theology of heaven. But, I'm going on with Spurgeon, but would you have a heaven below as well as a heaven above? Would you comprehend with all the saints what are the heights and the depths, and to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge? Would you receive an abundance entrance into the joy of your Lord? Then come ye out from among them, and be ye separate, and, not, and touch not the unclean thing. Would you attain the full assurance of faith? You cannot gain it while you commune with sinners. Would you flame? Would you flame with fervent love? Your love will be deadened by the drenchings of godless society. You cannot become, I love this, you cannot become a great Christian. You may be a babe in grace, 
But you can never be a perfect man in Christ Jesus while you yield yourself to the worldly truths concerning conduct and modes of, bi- and modes of business of men of the world. It is ill for an heir of heaven to be a great friend with the heirs of hell. It has a bad look when a companion of the king of kings is too intimate with the king's enemies. And can I just stop right there and say this? Some of you are probably thinking, well, how in the world are we supposed to reach the lost? Right? I mean, aren't we supposed to be around sinners? Didn't Jesus hang out with sinners? Okay, if you, look, don't ever use the fact that Jesus hung out with sinners as the approval for you to hang out with sinners like Jesus did. Because you're not Jesus, you're the sinner that Jesus hung out with. That's the point of that story. That's not an approval, a stamp to say, hey, just go, you know, just go hang out with sinners just all the time. That's not the point of that. Let me finish up what Spurgeon is saying. Even small inconsistencies are dangerous. Little thorns make great blisters. Little moss destroy fine garments. And little, uh, uh, little rogueries, that's the word he uses, will rob religion of a thousand joys. Here's the close of it. O oh, you who profess Christ and are far and are too little separated from sinners, you know not what you lose by your conformity to the world. It cuts the tendons of your strength and makes you creep where you ought to run. Then for your own comfort's sake and for the sake of your own growth and grace, if you be a Christian, be a Christian and be marked and a distinct one. Spurgeon is not saying that we shouldn't have interactions with sinners, but what he is saying is that if our life is marked by living with sinners and and, and being right in amongst them, the truth of the matter is they are going to influence you far more than you're going to influence them. And you're not going to be the influence by being tied up with them You're going to be more of an influence as you and I say at times, you know what, I simply can't do this. I can't be around this. Why? Because this violates the conscience of my soul. And so I have to separate myself from that. If if the passion and the flame we once had for Christ is lessened, one of the reasons may be we have become too enamored with this present evil age. Nothing will damper our love for Christ as will love for this world. The, spirit, the price of spiritual power is a purity of heart. Spiritual transformation starts in the mind and the heart. A mind dedicated to the world and its concerns will produce a life tossed back and forth by the currents of the culture, but a mind dedicated to God's truth will produce a life that can stand the test of time. We can resist the temptations of our, of our culture by meditating on God's word, on God's truth, and letting the Holy Spirit guide and shape our thoughts and behavior. A true follower of Christ desires to be free 
from sin, not to sin freely. Hear me well, Christian. Because of the mercies of God, we are not called to live in isolation, but in insulation. Not in isolation. We're not going to isolate ourselves from the world, but we are going to insulate ourselves from the world. A scuba diver lives in the water, but what? He breathes air. He can function because he takes the environment inside that tank with him. But what happens if the environment that he's, e- that he's in gets in him? It's death. It's death. Transformation is an outward expression of one's inward character and nature. It looks like I might have to save some of this maybe for Wednesday night Bible study, but, but l- let me kind of expedite this fairly quickly. So he says, don't be conformed, right? Now he's saying, be transformed. And this transformation is actually, listen, this is why it's for Christians only. It, it, is, it is the outward expression of what is already inside of us. So this word called metamorpho, that, that's the word for transform. It's only used twice in the Bible. It's used here, and it's used in the Gospels, talking about Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration. Do you remember that moment where Jesus goes up on the mountain, he takes Peter, James, and John, and all of a sudden he kind of does a Superman on them. He kind of pulls back and shows them a little bit of what he's really like. Because he's what? He's fully God, right? And he's fully man. So he, he gives them like, not, not the full effect, but he gives them a little sneak peek of what it looks like, of what he really looks like. And, and so what Jesus is doing is, is he's showing them on the outside what he is really on the inside. And that's what metamorphosis is. Metamorphosis is about what is inside of us, that deposit of the Holy Spirit that's inside of us, that's bringing us to to maturation, that's bringing us into Christ's likeness. As we transform, what's happening is, is who we really are is actually being shown on the the outside. You remember what I've taught you? Is that positionally you and I are perfect before God? We are without sin because of what Christ has done for us. It's our practice that's not perfect. Well, what happens in transformation is that position, that, that new us that we are in Christ comes more and more and more and more to the forefront. It becomes more and more and more visible. How does that happen? Well, we renew our mind. We renew our mind. Well, how does that happen? Well, it's, it's not rocket science, and it's nothing new. But the renewing of our minds is nothing short of a mental, mental revolution. Taking our norma, normal, selfish, self-centered human way of seeing life and giving us a point of view that we could not have without God's Spirit changing the way we think. Paul moves beyond the initial change of mind to a continual continual yielding of the mind to the will of God. One of the best ways to energize and facilitate this mental revolution which produces transformation, are you ready? Is to memorize God's Word. We're back to it again. Good golly molly. How many times have we come back to this? How many sermons have we preached on Scripture memorization? And how many of us, we get revved up and charged up. I'm going to memorize 
And probably since the last time we got revved up and charged up, we might have got a scripture memorized. Satan is no idiot. He knows this is the key. He knows this is how you break and keep Christians from being conformed to the world. Is you keep them from meditating and treasuring and memorizing God's word. Why? Because it is the only agent that can change your mind. John 6, 6.63, it is the spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. These words I have spoken to you are what? They are spirit and life. It behooves every believer, therefore, to have a steady intake of these words, which are the only words that guarantee spirit and life. Listen, many books can inform you, but only the Bible can transform you. For example, if you're having trouble loving someone that's totally unlovable, 1 Corinthians Chapter 13, verses 4 through 8. You ought to just commit it to memory. Asking God to change your thinking in the process. Don't be legalistic, but also don't think lightly of the power of His Word. His Spirit and grace in which you stand to change your mind, your heart, and your actions. Remember that the Word of truth is not given merely to inform, but transform. Look, our Father is not seeking smarter sinners, but saints who are growing more and more like the Savior through the intake of the Word. This is the verse I started out with this morning. Then, then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and He delivered them from their distresses. But watch how He delivers them. He sent His Word out and healed them and delivered them from their destruction. Hey, guess what? He, 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 this is the, hey, this is the medicine cabinet. This is, this is the deliverance mechanism. The Word of God be, begins to saturate our lives. We begin to absorb it and take it in and think about it. And it's, and it's all over us and it's all in us. And guess what begins to happen? In time, we begin to change in, in, in ways that we think. We no longer think that way. In ways that we talk, we no longer talk that way. You know, I, I'll, I'll still never forget the, 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 the day that I really committed myself to scripture memorization and had a hundred verses that I read three times every morning sitting in the parking lot at Oxford High School to get myself ready for the day. And I remember some guys that I was working with at that time at night. And uh, we were back in the, the stock room there at, uh, at Walmart. And they were talking about this guy we went to school with. And they were, they were saying all kind of derogatory statements about him. And I, and I was quiet and I was just standing there and I was... You know, I wasn't participating, but I guess I was uh, in a um, in, in, in kind of a non-communitive process. And all of a sudden, one of my friends looked at me and he said, Isn't that right, Grissom? And I responded by saying, I have no idea. I've, I've never seen him do the stuff that you're accusing him of. And like it just flew out of my mouth. I mean, it wasn't like it was premeditated. It wasn't like I was thinking about what should I say if they ask me about this. It just like it came out of me. And my buddy confronted me after. He's like, man, you made me look bad and da-da-da-da-da. And, and, it, and it caused a rift in our relationship from that point on. But, but listen, wh where did that come from? 
Where, where did that just all of a sudden jump out of, out of my heart and into my mouth and out into, out into the open? It came from the fact that the Word of God had been saturating my heart and my mind, and it just became the automatic response. Any of you ever send an email to somebody and you just get an automatic response that says, you know, I'm out of the office right now or whatever, or I'm on vacation for the next week, uh, but I'm checking my emails. That's kind of the way when you get saturated with God's Word and something comes to you, boom, you just got an automatic response. And you're like, where in the world did that just come from? But listen, if you ain't, if, if there's no, let me get bad English. If you ain't got no Word in you, then guess what? You ain't got no word to come out of you. And if you don't have any word to come out of you, guess what, brothers and sisters? Then you are going to fall victim to conformity to the world. Why? Because you are not experiencing transformation of the mind. Guys, I know I'm killing y'all back there because I'm skipping over some stuff. So, I'm sorry, but, and if you're watching online and you're wondering, is, did Mark take drugs this morning because he's all over the place? They don't have anything to do with Mark. It has everything to do with me because I don't know when to stop. You know, I have every intention of doing short sermons, but I get too lazy so, to stop. So, that's kind of my problem. So, that's not on Mark. This is on me. So, renewing requires something. And I want to give you Joshua 1 8, and, and I'm just about to close. Joshua 1.8 says this, This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth. This is what renewing requires. But you shall meditate, it, meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written. For then you will make your way prosperous and have good success. You know why that's so important? It's because had not Joshua been meditating on what God had told him, you think about what that man's about to do. That man's about to lead a group of people across the Jordan River, into the promised land, and the very first action that God tells them to do, march around that big old gigantic city one time, don't say anything, and I want you to do that six consecutive days, and then on the seventh day, I want you to march around six times, and on the seventh time, I don't want you to start banging on the walls, I want you to start banging on instruments, and I want you to start shouting, and I want you to start singing, and when you do that, the walls are going to come down. Listen, <laughs> That's half-cocked and crazy. You, you better be meditating on God's Word to be able to believe that foolishness. And God swallowed up the city and gave His people the promised land. The world will nev would never tell you that's the way you're going to conquer your enemy, but God's way is not the world's way. And listen, and we are so ingrained with worldly thinking that if we don't get involved in the... In transformation by the renewing of our mind, you and I are going to constantly live pressed in and look like the world. You're going to look like a Democrat. You're going to look like a Republican. You're going to look like Fox News, CNN. You're going to look like whatever. Quit taking your P's and Q's from the world. Take your P's and Q's from this book. And I love what D.L. Moody said. Because what, it, what the, the, the end of the verse says this, it says that you may discern, the re, transform by the renew, renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, right? Well, that word discern is actually, in the NIV, the NIV translates it best, the NIV says, that which is tried and proved. 
And D.L. Moody, in his Bible, out in the margin, it is said of him that when he would read his Bible and he would see something that God told him to do, and he did it, and it worked, you know what he would do? He would come back and write T and P. Tried and proved. Boy, it'd be nice to walk up to somebody one day and look over their shoulder while their Bible's open and to see a bunch of TMPs down the margin. TMP, 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 TMP. Tried and tr- tried and proved. Tried and proved. And maybe put dates on it because because you, you might try and prove that scripture a hundred times in your life. You might have a hundred dates written out by that. Tried and proved. You see, the will of God Everybody wants to know, right, the will of God. Well, the only way you're going to get to know the will of God is don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, and guess what's going to happen? You're going to know the will of God. And here's what you're going to know about the will of God. The will of God, you don't need nothing more, you don't need anything less, you don't need nothing else, and there is nothing better. People are wonder, you know, running around trying to, what's the will of God? What's the will of God? Should I do this? Should I do that? Then they called a preacher up. Preacher, what do you think I should do about this? And listen, don't get me wrong. This preacher loves to help people work through the will of God. But this preacher would be more than just tickled pink and excited if you just called up one day and said, hey, you know what? I don't need you anymore for the will of God. Why? Because here's what I've learned. If I, if, if I renew my mind, guess what I know? The will of God. I know when I get in certain situations in this world, even if the Bible doesn't spell it out plainly, like the Bible's never going to tell you who to marry, it's just going to tell you not to be unequally yoked with an unbeliever. But how do you know if it's misright or if it's... Miss Devil, or if he's Mr. Right or Mr. Satan, how do you know that? Well, I'm going to tell you what. Re- commit yourself to the renewing of your mind, and guess what? You'll be transformed to such a degree that you will know the perfect and acceptable will of God. Why? Because it's just like I told you a moment ago. It, it, it just becomes... Listen... I don't want this to sound too mystical because it's not really mystical. But when you start sinking the word of God down in your heart, guess what begins to happen? The Holy Spirit's got something to work with. And as he begins to work, guess what? You just begin to see very clearly this is the will of God for me. Why? Because the boom, this God's just opening up and showing you what to do because the scripture is there. And because you're committed to the scripture. It'll say, don't go to the right. It'll say, don't go to the left. It'll tell you exactly how to go. But our problem is, we have to commit ourselves to the renewing of our minds. All right, give me three minutes and I'm done. I got two little paragraphs I want to read to you to close, even though I got way more to say. The altered life is being ever more and more renewed in their mind to prove what is the good, perfect, and acceptable will of God. The progressive renewal of the Holy Spirit leads to growing 
like-mindedness to Christ. Then comes a delicate power for spiritual perception. A holy distinction by which the soul, quick of understanding in the fear of the Lord, knows how to recognize the meaning and the application of the Lord's commands to daily life in a way that remains hidden to ordinary Christians. Have you ever looked at somebody and thought, good gracious, I wish I could just be able to live like that or respond like that or know how to act like that? I guarantee if you talk to that person, they got some word down deep in them. Keep them, keep them dwelling richly within you. Hide them within your heart. And you shall taste the blessedness of the man whose delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law doth he meditate day and night. His commands will no longer come to you as a law standing outside against you, but as the living power which has transformed your will into perfect harmony with all your Lord requires. You know why many of us struggle with the Lord's will? Because His will ain't our will. Do not tolerate even a single sin. Since Christ died for us, how can we trifle with the evil that killed our best friend? Labor earnestly in prayer to stand perfect and complete in the will of God. Ask earnestly for the discovery of every secret sin, of anything that is not in perfect harmony with the will of God. Walk in the light, yielding yourself in unreserved surrender to obey all that the Lord has spoken. When Israel took that vow, it was only to break it all too soon. But the new covenant gives grace to make the vow and to keep it too. Be careful of disobedience even in little things. Why? Because disobedience dulls the conscience, darkens the soul, deadens our spiritual energies, and therefore keeps the commandments of Christ, therefore keep the commandments of Christ with implicit obedience. 1 John 5.3 says, For this is the love of God that we keep His commandments, and His commandments are not burdensome. They are all for love. They come from His love, and they lead to His love. Do not obey what God has said because He is God. Desire to obey God because He is good. Each new surrender, each new surrender, surrender each day to keep the commandments. Each day is a new sacrifice that leads to deeper union with the will, the Spirit, and the love of the Savior. Each day is a new surrender to the commandments. Each day is a new sacrifice in keeping them. But this leads us to a deeper union. Listen, many of us already know we're in bad shape. <laughs> we're in bad shape. There's way too much conformity to the world. But listen, God is a God of great grace. And listen, He's already been gracious to you in your willful disobedience. Think about some of the stuff that you've done that you have not suffered the consequences of those actions. Hmm? How many of you have done some stuff that 
you look at it and you think, you know what? I haven't suffered any of the consequences of that action. Grace is not simply leniency where we have sinned. Grace is the enabling gift not to sin. Listen, I want you to think about some of the stuff that you've done. One, it needs to be confessed and repented of. But the other part of that, I want you to think about some of the stuff that you've done that God has not given you any consequences of or you have not suffered the full measure of the consequence of that sin. You have not been thoroughly disciplined for that sin. And I want you to, I want you to take that thought and let that act of grace and mercy that God has shown you, let it be fuel for you to say no to sin in the future. Why? Because you're not in, you're not in a relationship with a lawgiver. You're in, you're in relationship with a God of love. For many of us this morning, our level of surrender does not match our knowledge of God. As I said last week, God is calling us to surrender all that we are aware of to all that we know of God. God is calling us to surrender all that we are aware of to all of God that we know. So this morning, how does, that, how does that balance out for you? Surrender all that you are to all that you know of God. Some of us, we have a, we have a whole lot of knowledge of God, but that, our level of surrender doesn't match up to our awareness and our knowledge of God. And for some of us, that's just where it needs to begin this morning. We need to begin to put those parts of our lives up on the altar that we have withheld from God. Some of us this morning, we've, I, know, I know you've done it a million times in the past, but listen, maybe the million and first time will be the time that it really works and it really sticks. And, and maybe right now it's more of the, instead of you... Uh, uh, trying to do something yourself. Right now, it's, it's, it's the Spirit of God really at, and actually at work in your heart, motivating you. Because maybe you've been reading Romans 1-11 through 11 this past week, and all of a sudden you're, you're seeing more and more of the mercies of God. And, 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 and maybe now you've got more of a distaste for the world than, than you've ever had before. Maybe now for the, for the, for the very first time, you, you see that, you know what? I need to get serious about renewing my mind because my transformation should be a lot further along than it is. I've been, I've been in this faith game a long time, but when I look at where I started and maybe where I should be, there seems to be some discrepancies there. And so I'm ready to go forward and to get serious about this, but I realize maybe for the first time that I cannot do this on my own, that what I must do is I must begin to deposit into my life, treasure up in my heart, the Word of God. And meditate on the Word of God. And not try to go out and... Listen, here's what I'm not telling you to do. I'm not necessarily telling you to go out and do the Word of God. I'm telling you first to dwell on the Word of God so that the dwelling on the Word of God empowers you to go do the Word of God. Dwell before doing. Some of you just hear that and you want to go do, do, do over and over and over again. And it's dwell 
dwell, dwell, and dwell on it, and dwell on it, and dwell on it, until it begins to take root in you. And when it begins to take root, fruit comes, and the fruit is the doing. And all of a sudden, you're just doing it. Why? Because the Word of God is taking control. Colossians 3.16 is in full effect in your life. Let's, let's pray this morning. Oh, Father, there's, there's so much left on the table here. So much more we need to say and should say. But I pray that you would take what has been said. Father, I, I, I can't compel people. Paul is... He's appealing to them. He's, 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 he's that paraclete. Like the Holy Spirit, he's, he's coming up beside them and he's, he's trying to help them and he, he's trying to urge them on to, to holiness. But he, he knows that he can't do it because everything that's happening here, all of, this, all of this change that is taking place is happening in the passive voice. It's, it's not something that the people can actually do to themselves but it's actually something that is being done to them. But it's being done to them because they're doing the very thing that you have told them to do, and that is to let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly. Meditate on the Word day and night, and your way will be prosperous. Why? Because, Father, our minds are being transformed and so that we will know what your will is, that perfect, good, and acceptable will. And so, Father, this morning, whether it's on the other side of that computer screen or whether it's right here in this sanctuary, I pray that you would give us all a heart ready to respond simply out of love because it is, it, it is what the, the, the relationship of love is all about. We, we respond because we have broken your heart. And we respond because we really want to be a living sacrifice because of the mercies and of the grace that you have shown all of us. Help us to respond in this moment in Christ's name. Amen. Stand, sing. The altar is open.